coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. A happy hump day to you. So, a lot to get into today. Our guest, by the way, on the second half of the show is uh, Susan Greenhall. Susan Greenhall is the election integrity expert. She is the senior advisor on election security for Free Speech for People. That is a nonprofit that covers the gamut. I mean, they do a lot of stuff. Uh, let me let me give you their their mission statement here again. It's pretty long. Uh, Free Speech for People, national nonprofit, nonpartisan organization, catalyzing leader in the country, challenging big money in politics, confronting corruption in government, fighting for free and fair elections, and advancing a new jurisprudence grounded in the promise of political equality and democratic self-government. I mean, that's a lot. Uh, Anyway, she is one of the co-authors of a piece that landed in uh, Slate.com today. That headline, Trump was implicated in a vote machine theft. Why isn't the DOJ investigating? She and Ben Clements wrote that. We will talk with her in the second half of the show about that. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, Ron, Trump again. This is the Coffee County scenario, the Coffee County, Georgia. Remember that? We had the, the break-ins, so to speak. The, what are these people doing in the Coffee County voting systems uh, why are they checking out software and 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 doing God knows what with it? Yeah, this is some spooky stuff. I don't know how many of you are watching uh, or did watch maybe the Manchurian Candidate in 2004. That was election rigging, electronic election rigging. They were ch- literally changing numbers using the software, using a breach in the software to change numbers. Uh, and Lee Schreiber was the Manchurian Candidate. John Voigt. Obviously, John Voigt's the bad guy. He's always the bad guy, isn't he? Is he ever a good guy? Was that time John Voigt was a good guy? Anyway, or or even, even more recent, just about anything Kiefer Sutherland touches, I enjoy. I love 24. I loved when he was the designated survivor. Remember that TV show? That was a good show for a minute. And then they started sneaking in like commercials in the story. Like there was that whole oogie Ford Explorer commercial in the middle of the scene. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Anyway, the new series that he did recently is called Rabbit Hole on Paramount Plus. And after you listen to our interview with Susan Greenhall, it'll give you goosebumps, just the similarities in the storyline between Rabbit Hole, the Manchurian candidate, and what it seems anyway, the Trump campaign was trying to do and may still be trying to do to change future election results. Yeah. And that's sort of relevant because Donald Trump, by the way, uh, is already claiming election interference going into the 2024 election. You heard me. He's already claiming election interference going into the 2024 election. According to Newsweek, Trump raged in a Wednesday morning Truth Social post following new conservative dismay with the FBI, which special counsel John Durham concluded, erroneously, had no evidence of collusion when launching its probe of relations between Trump and Russia ahead of the 2016 election. Trump made open comments, seemingly requesting Russian aid for his campaign about seven years ago, infamously saying, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Remember that? I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. Let's see if that happens. Ha ha ha, he was just kidding. Anyway, he goes on Truth Social, all caps, I was being framed by the FBI and the DOJ 
Now it continues with the boxes hoax, the perfect phone call in Atlanta, the Manhattan DA, and the New York State AG scam. What a group, but all report to the DOJ in Washington. It's James Comey and the sleazebags all over again. That's right. He continues, they are playing election interference in 2024 through illegal law enforcement against Republicans. In particular, your favorite president, me. These are cheating lowlifes, but we will win. Our country is going to hell. Wait a minute. But we will win. Our country is going to hell. So he predicts that they're going to win and then says, our country is going to hell. I mean, he's not wrong if that happens. If line A happens, line B is going to happen. Is right. For once, I'm saying Donald Trump is absolutely right. Anyway, that Susan Greenlaw interview at the bottom of the hour. Can't wait for you to hear that. He thinks that the DOJ is pulling too many levers. And after you hear what Susan Greenlaw and her co-author Ben Clements wrote in today's slate piece, which we'll have in the show notes at ronshoetl.com, you'll come away with the conclusion, no, actually, the DOJ's not doing enough. What the hell? Why are they not acting on this? In a not entirely unrelated note, a bit of a surprise. In fact, the AJC reports Jim Gaines. In a surprise switch-up, Fulton County Commissioners on Wednesday chose Patrice Perkins Hooker to chair the Fulton County Board of Registration in elections for the next two years. A reminder, Commission Chairman Rob Pitts had nominated former Republican County Commissioner Lee Morris. You're hearing this right. Commission Chairman Rob Pitts, a Democrat, had nominated former Republican County Commissioner Lee Morris to chair the elections board, a move that would have flipped control from Democrats to Republicans. In Fulton County, Georgia, y'all. I've never met Commission Chairman Rob Pitts. I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's a Democrat, so we're going to agree on a lot of things. This, I didn't get. Really, I didn't. And, and I said as much two days ago and, and had an entire segment on this. In, in a state where Coffee County happened, in a state where uh, questions about Fulton County's election integrity happened, where HB2 was signed into law, you're, you're going to put a Republican in charge of the state's most populous county to let the fox oversee the egg counting at the hen house? No, sir. No, sir. And listen, that proposal, as the AJC writes, drew strong pushback from the public and some other commissioners, Dana Barrett being one of them. The story continues, a coalition of 11 civil rights and voting rights groups sent commissioners a letter Tuesday urging them to reject Morris, calling the elections board chair's position critical for the 2024 election. At the start of the commission meeting, Pitts dropped Morris' nomination and substituted Ms. Perkins Hooker. Mr. Pitts, commendable that you did so. It's okay to admit, see, listen, I'm telling you, pay attention to this, y'all. It's okay to admit you were wrong. And I don't know, maybe Mr. Pitts just had noble intentions. I know this guy. We may not agree on a lot, but we're good friends. I trust. That's all fine and well. But even the man he nominated said the optics, as they say, aren't good. He wrote a letter that uh, Commissioner Pitts read said that uh, he'd always tried to avoid the hyper-partisanship that's been so destructive, thought he could bring that balance to the Board of Elections. But he reflected on it and said in this letter 
to Commissioner Pitts that he ultimately agreed with his Democratic friends that a Democratic-leaning county like Fulton should have a Democratic majority on its election board. He said, literally, otherwise the optics, as they say, aren't good. Historic, y'all. I'm agreeing with a Republican. Now, just for a good laugh here, one of the Republicans on the commission, Bridget Thorne, uh, according to the AJC, decried the quick substitution of Miss Perkins Hooker, saying that she hadn't had the time to get to know this new candidate. Here's the thing. Patrice Perkins Hooker is a former Fulton County attorney, former president of the State Bar of Georgia, and and the current election board attorney. And yet, laughably, Commissioner Bridget Thorne said she hadn't the time to get to know Patrice Perkins Hooker. If that's the case, ma'am, whose fault is that? All right, we got more to cover how a vote last night in Arizona could affect the future of hockey in metropolitan Atlanta and Forsyth County, that new development that's being touted. And Mayor Dickens pens an open letter that appeared in the AJC today reaffirming his support for the Atlanta Police Training Facility, a.k.a. Cop City. We'll have discussion on that and more when we return here on The Ron Show. On the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, also available on all the major podcast platforms. And we have links for you at RonShow.com. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. So, an election result in Tempe, Arizona last night can have repercussions on us here in Metro Atlanta. From azfamily.com, Arizona's Family Sports has confirmed that the Arizona Coyotes will play at Mullet Arena next season. That is the on-campus stadium at Arizona State University, and the reason they're doing that, the story continues. Tempe voters appeared to have overwhelmingly rejected Arizona Coyotes' proposed $2.1 billion entertainment district and arena. Numbers released just after polls closed showed Propositions 301 and 302 had 56% of voters saying no, while Proposition 303 had a 57% no vote. Just over 29,000 ballots have been counted so far. At last check, about 4,000 Tempe ballots and 200 in Carefree, Arizona, are still left to be processed. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman said the National Hockey League is terribly disappointed by the results of the public referendum regarding the Coyotes Arena Project in Tempe. We are going to review with the Coyotes what the options might be going forward. The Coyotes, for their own, uh, 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 for themselves, released a statement following the results that said, we are very disappointed. Tempe voters did not approve Propositions 301, 302, and 303. As Tempe Mayor Corey Wood said, it was the best sports deal in Arizona history, which isn't really saying much, y'all. The Coyotes wish to thank everyone who supported our efforts and voted yes. So many community leaders stepped up and became our advocates, and for that, we are truly grateful. We also wish to thank the countless volunteers who worked so hard to try and make the Tempe Entertainment District a reality and the Tempe City Council for their support as well. While we wanted a different outcome, we remain grateful to all those who volunteered their time and talent What's next for the franchise will be evaluated by our owners and the National Hockey League over the coming weeks. Why is that important? Well, that's important because, as I'm sure you're aware by now, there are folks in Forsyth County who want to develop a big old piece of property just north of Alpharetta to build about a $2 billion price tag. Ironic? I think not to build a huge entertainment district, not unlike the Battery Atlanta in Cobb County, with an $800 billion, 18,000-seat NHL-ready 
arena. Mm-hmm. According to the AJC article uh, that just came out here a few days ago, Zachary Hansen on May 2nd reports a Forsyth County arena with an NHL hockey franchise would generate about $6.6 million, million with an M, per year in county sales taxes and nearly $18 million, with an M, in tax revenues annually for the state according to an economic impact analysis obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Zachary's article continues, The document which the AJC obtained via the Georgia Open Records Act provides a narrow window into financial projections from a part of the ambitious Gathering Itself Forsyth project. The potential $2 billion with a B project, 30 miles north of downtown Atlanta, includes an 18,000-plus arena, a seat arena, and adjoining mixed-use development with apartments, offices, all of this for-profit, shops, restaurant, hotels, and a community center. The December 2022 report, according to the AJC from Chicago-based Stone Planning, only looks at the financial impacts of the arena and a potential NHL team. It does not include projections of potential tax revenue generated by the entertainment district that's been pitched. That, of course, is being uh, sought by CEO Vernon Krause, who uh, owns an auto dealership here in Atlanta. It does also not include, by the way, any analysis of potential costs for taxpayers, such as arena security, Pre and post game police traffic, uh, you know the, the the folks waving the traffic in and out, transportation improvement needs, and you know that they will need that if you're going to have eighteen thousand plus people coming in and out for how many is like 40, 40, 40 games a year, and then the concerts, all that sort of stuff, does not include analysis on any other potential financial support from the public as well. A uh, friend of the show, someone that I've been wanting to get on for quite a while, is uh, Kennesaw State. Professor and economist J.C. Bradbury, who is cited in this article, researches and scrutinizes publicly financed sports venues, said the report is primarily based off of assumptions and data provided by Stafford Sports. He said it's hard to take the report at face value when it's impossible to scrutinize the underlying data. He said, quote, really what this analysis needs to be doing is convincing everyone, hey, we've done some market research that shows that people are willing to travel this far, remember, 30 miles from downtown Atlanta, to see a hockey team. They did have some data in this uh, report that talks uh, the arena will cost $800 million to build, adding the project's construction, $18.4 million in state income taxes. Construction expected to create 2,500 temporary jobs. Uh, okay, using multipliers from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics to estimate event attendance, the report found that Forsyth residents will make up a fourth of all NHL game attendees while locals will comprise 20% of attendees for other sports and concerts at the proposed arena. So it is a little bit like, I mean, you can look at that two ways. That means that taxpayers are going to be paying for a venue that they're only going to be a quarter of the population of or a fifth for other events in the arena, but they're also going to wind up footing the bill for all of it. Now, I've said from the get-go, I'm not a few, First of all, I'm a huge Braves fan, and I actually love the Battery. I love Truist Park. It's a fantastic venue. It's a, it is a great venue. Liberty Media owns the Braves, however. They could have built that themselves. Like, literally, and trust me, they're reaping all the profit off of it. All of it. Cobb taxpayers, the, the revenue that comes from the retail there, I mean, it's, it's, it's mostly game day reliant. 81 games a year are given but the property tax values have not increased around the battery, not in, in an appreciable way that makes you go, oh, wow, that is way more than the rest of Metro Atlanta. No, it's it's comparable, but it's not. It, there's no spike. There's been no benefit for Cobb County taxpayers is what I'm saying. 
It's a fantastic venue. And it's great. It's great for the Braves' bottom line. And listen, it's no secret that the Braves have been able to spend more on their roster to field a more competitive team because their ownership is making a lot more money off the Battery and Truist Park with the friendly lease that they have than they were at Turner Field without a battery without a battery around it. Atlanta couldn't come to terms with building what the Braves wanted around Turner Field, so they went to Cobb County to get the sweeter deal. I'm a huge Braves fan. I love that the Braves are succeeding. But Liberty Media is a big company, huge company. In fact, the Braves are just a tiny little line on their margins. It's it's a hard, it's a blip on their radar, really. They could have afforded to have built that themselves without any tax benefit, without any breaks whatsoever, without costing the taxpayers of Cobb County one dime. Arthur Blank owns Atlanta United, the Atlanta Falcons. He, of course, a big deal once upon a time at Home Depot. He had the money. He could have built Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Now, I would argue that Mercedes-Benz Stadium has actually been beneficial for the city of Atlanta. I mean, we've had a Super Bowl. We've had a college football national championship game. We've had SEC championships. We've had several bowl games, huge concert events, this, that, and that. That's been good. But still, still, the Falcons, Atlanta United, friendly lease terms. And I guess I'm thankful at least that they don't charge an arm and a leg at concessions. So grateful to that. But still, the, the Falcons could have built a venue of their own. Atlanta United could have, they, they could have built this venue on their own and reaped the benefits of it. Same for the Hawks. Same for State Farm Arena. That's the way it is in this country, though. You have cities, county, states all fighting each other and outbidding one another to land these major sports teams because for some reason, it, it, it's like a feather in the cap of uh, the, the local folks to have these uh, these teams in in their market. I like I don't understand. Like for Cobb County, it's not an ego thing. They're not the Cobb County Braves. They're not the Marietta Braves, the Vinings Braves, the Smyrna Braves. They're the Atlanta Braves. And they make the city of Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, look good. They bring up the spotlight. They bring up the, the marketability of Metro Atlanta. Not Cobb County, Metro Atlanta. But they don't do anything for the taxpayer. There is no benefit whatsoever for the taxpayer. <clears throat> and the thing to remember about all of this is, y'all, if these venues were such money-making ventures for governmental entities, don't you think billionaire franchise owners would be tripping all over themselves to build these venues themselves, turning around to make money off of the concert tours that come through when their teams aren't playing in them? Of course they would. Of course they would. But that's not the case, is it? It's not the case. So we're going to watch now that the Arizona Coyotes Found out from the voters of Arizona, Tempe, Arizona specifically. No, we're not about giving up a ton of taxpayer dollars for a $2 billion entertainment venue complex that we're also going to have to pay to park in. Hello, battery. That we're going to have to uh, you know, pay to, 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 to see matches in. The taxpayers don't get comp tickets. Does Cobb County get a discount? Does a Cobb County resident get a discount for a Braves ticket? No, they don't. And the same thing would be the case in Tempe, Arizona. A Tempe resident's not going to get a discounted ticket to see the Arizona Coyotes. 
And watch, this will all play out. Yeah, they're talking about, oh, we're going to stay in, in Tempe. We're going to try and make this work some other way. They're not. <coughs> Pardon me. They're going to try and come to Atlanta. I, I I feel this. I just feel this in my bone. Maybe Houston, but likely Atlanta. They may play a season in the Gwinnett Arena or two awaiting this foresight thing if the foresight thing comes to fruition. We're going to be keeping an eye on that. This is something that uh, I've just, I, I'm passionate about. I'm just, do not believe. And listen, I'm a huge Falcons fan, huge Braves fan. Huge Hawks fan, Atlanta United. I'm all about that. All about these uh, these teams. I'm just not about the taxpayer having to pay the price for billionaires to profit off of venues and for millionaire athletes who, again, huge fan of, to make their millions off of when we don't derive the benefit. Like, I don't get a discounted ticket. You don't get a discounted ticket. We don't see things come back to our community that make the community appreciably better because of these venues, by and large. Back after this on The Ron Show. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, we're joined by Susan Greenhall, Senior Advisor on Election Security for the folks at Free Speech for people. I was uh, actually looking over the website, Free Speech for People. Let me give you a little taste of what they like to do. Uh, they are what they uh, cite as a national nonprofit, nonpartisan organization, catalyzing uh, a catalyzing leader in the country, challenging big money in politics, confronting corruption in government, fighting for free and fair elections, and advancing a new jurisprudence grounded in the promises of political equality and democratic self-government. So n- not much. Not much going on with you guys. Anyway, Susan, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, a slate piece that you co-wrote today, uh, along with, let me get his name. I forgot it. Ben Ben Clements. Clements, uh, Brings up an interesting question. There are, you know, several court cases right now involving involving Donald Trump. He's a little bit... uh, a little bit busy fighting off uh, attacks from all directions when it comes to all of the things that he may or may not have illegally done. But one of the things that he seems to be implicated in, that front is quiet. And that's the implication that there may have been some voter machine theft. And right here in Georgia, in Coffee County, as a matter of fact. So you ask, why isn't the Department of Justice investigating? Well, Susan, do you have any idea why the DOJ isn't? We don't. Um, we're uh, this is is very troubling that the DOJ doesn't seem to be investigating that there's no in- information to um, support any assumption that they are. And in fact, there's evidence to support assumptions that they aren't. Um, as we mentioned in that slate piece, we wrote a very comprehensive letter um, examining all the evidence that shows that that Trump um, or or that talks about this this issue, which is connected to the Trump campaign in a letter that went to the DOJ in uh, December of 2022, last year. Mm -hmm. And we got a letter back from the FBI saying, oh, we can't investigate this because it's a state issue, um, which is wrong on its face for a couple different reasons. (laughs) Um, And uh, subsequently, we've been able to um, uncover testimony from the January 6th committee transcripts, which indicate that this plot was discussed in the Oval Office with Trump himself. So back in December, we had evidence that it went up to 
um, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Lynn Wood and other Trump uh, campaign attorneys. And this evidence from the testimony um, indicates that it went to Trump himself. But I'll, if I if I may, I just want to also explain where the evidence came from, because sure. that might be part of why the DOJ isn't investigating, is that this um, was all uncovered by a civil lawsuit, um, by the plaintiffs in a civil lawsuit that's been long ongoing pre-2020. Um, and the main uh, plaintiffs uncovering this evidence are the Coalition for Good Governance, a le- an excellent group doing work in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to look them up and throw them some love. And they found um, evidence that there had been this breach in Coffee County to take the voting system software. People in Atlanta should know that the same exact software that's used in coffee is what's used in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So when they take the software in coffee, they have the software for every county in Georgia. They have a copy of exactly what's being run there, and they know exactly how each machine is is um, maybe vulnerable. Um, so the 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 good people of this nonprofit uncovered this information in their private lawsuit. They got a lot of press coverage over last summer, 2022, um, and it was in the Washington Post and CNN. And it seemed like, well, of course, the DOJ is going to jump all over this. They have a subscription to the Washington Post, and they're <laughs> going to know that that this has happened. But when some of the depositions of people involved in this software breach, including Doug Logan, whose name may sound familiar because he was the guy that ran that fake audit out in Arizona, um, he went into Coffee County and played around with the voting machines, too. When he was deposed in this private civil lawsuit at the expense of this you know, non- small nonprofit, he... Um, claimed that he had not been contacted by anybody from DOJ or FBI or special counsel's office. And this was in November of 2022. And that's what sort of lit the fire that we needed to start putting this in front of the the DOJ and asking them to investigate, which began back in December when we started to ask them to investigate. And we're still not seeing any evidence that they have, um, have agreed with us that this needs to be investigated. I can't believe I just spent eight to 10 hours in the last couple of weeks binging rabbit hole on Paramount Plus because you just played this out and this is happening in real life. Uh, <laughs> by the way, if, if you ever get some time, that's that's a show to watch, but it'll feel like a rerun now because of all that's going on. So explain it to me like I'm stupid. What does having this software do for anyone who intends to do something nefarious with uh, election results? Yeah, so that's a really important question because it's it's not just about what this software may ha- how it may have been used to decertify or to to try and delegitimize the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. It can be used going forward, and that's the biggest danger right now as we we sit here today. And why the the DOJ and the FBI and the special counsel need to be thoroughly investigating it. The software could be used for a few different things, and this is information coming from computer security experts and scientists. Um, you could use it to um, just for disinformation, and we've already seen that actually the software was um, highlighted at a presentation at CPAC where some election deniers said, see, look, this shows that the election was stolen. <laughs> um, but it could also be used to fabricate evidence. So you could fabricate information, malware, something that would um, potentially be brought into court to say, look, we need to decertify this election because this malware was running on this voting system. Mm. Now. Um, we know that when Trump tried to uh, seek some sort of redress in the courts in 2020, he failed because he never had evidence. So 
it's a possibility that you could use the software to create evidence. And then the worst case scenario is to use the software to create malware, malicious software that could be um, that the system could be infected with with a minimal amount of, of contact, maybe by a poll worker, a cleaning person or even a voter to um, to go into the machine and then actually corrupt the votes and tamper with the results. Or, or you could potentially just tamper, tamper with machines to disrupt voting. And, and then when you show up to vote, your machines aren't working and people in certain precincts in certain areas of Atlanta wouldn't be able to actually vote because the machines would be down. There would be a disruption. So this isn't a case where they broke into the Coffee County system to uh, look at some voter data and maybe glean some information about the voters or, or alter results or anything like that. And then, like, I, I initially thought, well, if they did this in Coffee County, where else did they do this? This seems more like a scenario where they chose Coffee County because it may have been the least secure place to go into, that they wouldn't catch a lot of flack from anybody because it's a rural county with not a whole lot of eyes on it. And they just sought to go in here to get the software so that they can play around with it and see what they can concoct. Is that what is that what we're getting out of this? That's right. And also they had sympathetic um, uh, uh, people in Coffee County on the Board of Elections sure and in the election director who were um, looking for ways to prove that Donald Trump had won the 2020 elections. So they were more than happy to let these people associated with the Trump campaign, Walson and, and um, uh, you know, start making copies of voting system software. And what the, in the documents that were um, pr- pr- uh, provided to the coalition for good governance and the other plaintiffs in this longstanding lawsuit um, included um, evidence that copies of the software, and, and as again, as you mentioned, this is the actual software that runs the machine. It's not just the totals, the data um, from a past election. It's the actual guts that run the machine mm. was uploaded to a share file site and then shared with an unknown number of Trump sympathizing election deniers through a private network. And it's not a case where these were people that were like, let's Let's uh, have open source software and share it with the world and put it up on GitHub. That isn't what happened here. They took it for their own personal part- partisan objectives, um, and it's it's uh, and we still don't know where it's being circulated, how far it's been circulated. Um, you know who all has a copy now. We're with Susan Greenhall. She's the senior advisor on election security for Free Speech for People. She and Ben Clements wrote a piece that uh, lands on a slate today. We'll share that in our show notes. Trump was implicated in a voting machine theft. Why isn't the DOJ investigating? Which leads me to my next question. Susan, is the DOJ perhaps not investigating because the rot doesn't have a partisan perspective? (laughs) um i don't i don't know i i you know i i there's different we there's different you know theories as to why they're not investigating maybe they're waiting for da Fonnie willis to you know to move forward or they're letting her do it right that really doesn't make any sense because this coffee county breach is much bigger than just coffee county in georgia because Mm -hmm. we know from the contracts that it was Sydney Powell paying for um, the operatives to go into Coffee County, but she was also paying for them to go into Michigan and Nevada. And that makes it a multi-state conspiracy. Um, there's also the concern that this uh, this could impact elections going forward. So we need to have people at the, you know, the 
at our, the federal government law enforcement trying to protect our elections going forward to find out where this has been shared. We know it's already been shared across state lines. Um, this is something that demands a federal investigation and it shouldn't be left to Ms. Willis, no matter how uh, competent she is. The other question I have is, is this another case where capitalism may prevail and save our asses here? Because this is proprietary information, right? This was stolen essentially from whatever company or software company devised this software that essentially was stolen to be tinkered with, right? Could, could that could that come into play? That's such a good question. And you would think, right? Um, because we've seen the, the voting system vendors be quite aggressive when they're afraid that their systems are being accessed improperly. Um, but what's very peculiar about this incident in Georgia is that Dominion hasn't made a fuss about it. And, and it might be because they have other things going on. They didn't want to draw attention to themselves in mm -hmm. this way because it could potentially be perceived negatively. Um, but they, as, as far as we have seen, and we've issued public records requests and the plaintiffs have gotten discovery documents, they have not said one word to the Secretary of State's office about this breach, which is highly unexpected. Um, so I don't know why Dominion isn't trying to exercise its um, its rights under the contract. And under the contract, under the contract it has with Georgia, um, the software is supposed to be treated proprietarily and it shouldn't be shared. And yet they um, uh, they have not seem to be concerned about it. And I'm not sure why, but it is completely unexpected. D does this lead us back to paper ballots, do you think? Um, yes, I think that's a, that would be the best solution to protect Georgia and, and everywhere going forward or handmark paper ballots. Mm -hmm. um, I think paper ballots counted by um, computerized tabulators can be trusted provided there's a robust post-election audit that's done to make sure that the um, tallies are correct. And that means keeping a strict chain of custody of the ballots um, and, um, and, uh, under, you know, and uh, manifests of where all the ballots are. So, you know, all your, where all your ballots are, and then mm -hmm. doing a, 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 a strong risk limiting audit afterwards. What Georgia is doing right now really isn't a strong risk limiting audit. They like to, it's, they call it a risk limiting audit, but it's not a risk limiting audit. Um, and it doesn't really uh, provide the protections that um, we all need in this day and age. So um, handmark paper, but handmark paper ballots is the first step towards that. And that's the easiest thing to do. And it will actually save the state a lot of money because you won't need a computerized machine, which costs a lot to run. The cost it cost a ton for the state to buy it, um, and uh, really is more likely to to uh, cause long lines too because you have to wait for mm -hmm. an electronic machine to walk through to go through, and rather than just take a pen and a clipboard and stand, you know, get some cardboard, you have a little privacy, mark a ballot. That's the the best way, and that's how most of the country votes actually. But then, does that not lead us back to Dominion and losing a lot of money, having contracts with states like Georgia, who would then have to say, well? Your, your software is no longer any useful to us because it's been breached and now we're going to have to go back to paper ballots and then Dominion's got to sue somebody, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know if it would actually work that way. State has a right to, um, to choose. Well, I'm not uh, saying Dominion would sue the state, but Dominion's got to be upset if they lose this business. They're going to have to go after somebody and you would think 
again, it goes back to who's who who breached our software. Yeah, well, if that's the case, then maybe they would have some sort of claim. But um, I'm not a lawyer, so I, yeah. I really couldn't speculate. About <laughs> yeah. That. Well, I enjoy speculating, so I like uh, I like inviting others to do so as well. But listen, I appreciate the time uh, again. The slate piece: Trump was implicated in a vote machine theft. Why isn't the DOG investigating? Ben Clements co-wrote this with our guest Susan Greenhall. She's the election security advisor for Free Speech for People. I want to thank you for the time and enlightening us today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. I know I mentioned the Paramount Plus series Rabbit Hole. That's a great one to watch, by the way. But also the 2004 movie The Manchurian Candidate. That was a remake with Denzel Washington and John Voight and Leif Schreiber. So many parallels to reality that we're seeing in headlines today, y'all. This is some creepy stuff. It also just goes to show the links that conservatives will go to. Already enjoying the rural Senate bias and the Electoral College thanks to an uncapped house, they add gerrymandering, and now we're tinkering with election machines. This is why we have to keep asking conservatives at all points, why do you hate democracy? Why are you against the will of the people? Back after this. Final segment of the Ron Show for Wednesday. Cop City. Everyone's attention on Cop City here locally. And apparently... That outpouring of the 300, all who are against the Atlanta police training facility being built where it is slated to be built in DeKalb County, caught the attention of Mayor Andre Dickens as well, because he wrote an op-ed piece that appeared in today's AJC. The headline, Making Atlanta Safer is Our North Star. That's nice. Mayor Dickens says, Today's dangers show public safety training center for first responders. Oh, now it's a first responder center. Sorely needed. Let me read this to you. The afternoon I became mayor, I received a phone. I hate that phone. It buzzes each time a crime, fire, accident, or other disaster puts a life in danger in our city. It buzzed when we had an active shooter in Midtown with an unknown number of injuries and the time when a father fired a shot at his family and then barricaded them inside their home. Those were in the last two weeks. While violent crime is down in our city, it's still too high. As a father, I want a safe and vibrant city for my family. And I know that each of us, no matter our zip code, wants that same thing. To do that, we must invest in a balanced approach that includes both addressing the root causes of crime as well as investing in the recruitment, retention, and training of our first responders. I keep noticing the the use of the word first responders. Do you? Anyway, Atlanta is one of the largest cities in the southeast, yet we do not have a training center for those who work to keep us safe when we need them most. This is unacceptable. That's why we are building the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center to give the firefighters, emergency medical service providers, and police personnel, why are police last in the line here, noticing this, the skills to better serve our neighborhoods. I have often said that I believe in drawing circles, bringing people together rather than drawing lines that divide us. For many months, the conversation about this facility have been fueled by fear, misinformation, and an us-versus-them mindset. Mayor Dickens, I don't disagree with the fact that there has been some misinformation and a void of information as well. The narrative has been allowed to carry us to where it is now. And I think as a leader, that falls, whether you believe it's fair or not, on your shoulders. Anyway, I'm going to go back to his writing here. 
I want to offer another perspective grounded in facts that speaks to my commitment as your mayor. First, the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center will not be, quote, cop city. The training center is about comprehensive public safety. Recent incidents like the tragic shootings in Midtown and Atlantic Station show that when a crisis hits, we rely on all of our first responders to be on top of their game. The center will provide enough space to allow for joint training exercises among our city's public safety departments. The world around us is changing quickly, and our first responders need training in the latest techniques and technology to effectively fulfill their mission to keep us safe. The purpose of the training center is to equip our public safety personnel with the skills and knowledge they need to do their jobs the right way every time and avoid the deeply troubling situations we have seen in places like Minneapolis and Memphis. Our administration and our public safety leaders will not tolerate or shield public safety personnel who abuse their power and commit unspeakable acts. Our North Star is that no family or community will ever have to suffer through what happened to Eric Garner or George Floyd. And yes, even some families in our own city. Mayor Dickens continues, To do this, our public safety personnel must have modern, top-quality training programs and facilities throughout their careers, from their first day in the academy to routine training thereafter, including learning and practicing, de-escalation skills, anti-bias training, and building relationships with citizens whose trust has been breached. The center also provides an opportunity for Atlantans to lead the nation around reform and justice. It will help us introduce new and more responsive public safety models, including our emerging violence reduction efforts and expanding our co-responder model, which seeks to reduce the arrest and incarceration of people facing extreme poverty, substance abuse, and or mental health concerns. I just don't understand why you need 100 to 300 acres to do that, but okay. He continues, beyond public safety, the conversation actually presents an opportunity for us to make a historic investment in green space. Okay. The city of Atlanta owns 385 acres of land in the area. Roughly 88 acres will be used for the training center. The remaining 300 acres will be permanently preserved, ecologically restored, and open to the public for the first time in over a century. I really am kind of uncomfortable with the idea of there being a gun range and fire tower and all this stuff. And oh, by the way, come hang out at the park right beside it. Okay, but let's hear them out. For months, local residents who served on our Community Stakeholder Advisory Committee have significantly adjusted the overall site plan to better align with the community's visions. And my newly created South River Forest and Public Safety Training Center Community Task Force, whoo, that just rolls right off the tongue, will add more voices and broaden the scope of community input to include the surrounding green space as well as our public safety training curriculum. In December 2021, the Atlanta City Council unanimously authorized the city's chief financial officer to identify up to $35 million in public capital toward the completion of the training center. On Monday, legislation was introduced fulfilling that commitment made by the previous council and administration and requesting that allocation not exceed $31 million in the coming weeks. We will meet with community members to continue gathering feedback and answering questions. As a father... I would do anything to keep my child safe. As your mayor, I will do everything I can to do the same for you and your family. That penned by Mayor Andre Dickens and appearing in today's AJC. I'll have that in the show notes for you at ronshowatl.com. I commend the mayor for writing this. It's something he needed to write the last six months, maybe longer. But he also needed to facilitate a dialogue with 
those who have been protesting this. And he's not done that. These advisory committees where you get to handpick people, that's not solving anything, Mr. Mayor. Here's a start. Pick 30 of the 300 that spoke Tuesday at city council and have a sit down with them publicly, openly, and let's see where you get. That's it for the Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Available on all the major podcast platforms. Links at ronshowetl.com. See you tomorrow.